For 50 years, Eva, an alien from planet Rykos, has lived in human form on Earth as Kyle Johnson. When Eva gets into a fight at the sewage treatment plant, where he works, he is put into jail. A jailer overhears Eva trying to contact his home planet and tells the authorities. Ebar is sent to the psychiatric ward of Buffalo County Hospital for evaluation, where he eventually comes under the care of Jeremy Slater. Jeremy is a young mental health professional, and Ebar's case is his first assignment. No one believes that Ebar is an alien. More to the point, everyone thinks he's crazy. After working with his patient for a month, Jeremy begins to believe Ebar truly is who he says he is, and concocts a plan. If Ebar will quit talking about being an alien and pretend he is human, Jeremy will work with him so he can get released from the hospital and go on living his life. Ebar agrees. Jeremy's egotistical boss, Dr. Richard Andrews, has other ideas. He and a friend at the Pentagon have come up with a plan of their own. Andrews will take over the case and announce to the world that Ebar really is an alien. Andrews figures it will make him famous. His plan is to keep Ebar locked up and study him for the rest of his life. Jeremy is appalled. He and Ebar have become friends and he can't allow Andrews to take control of his friend's life. Aided by co-worker Julie and her partner Ren, the four of them go on the run, with thugs sent by the Pentagon in hot pursuit. This is a story about good and evil, and is a mirror held up to the times we live in. Ultimately though, it is a story of friendship, a friendship that changes the lives of both Eba and Jeremy forever. Jim Bates's Alien of Orchard Lake. Get your copy now at MythMart.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all my words, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. I have heard myself say that a house with a death in it can never again be bought or sold by the living. It can only be borrowed from the ghosts that have stayed behind. To go back and forth, letting out and gathering back in again, worrying over the floors in confused circles, tending to their deaths like patchy withered gardens. They have stayed to look back for a glimpse of the very last moments of their lives. But the memories of their own deaths are faces on the wrong sides of wet windows, 
smeared by rain, impossible to properly see. There is nothing that chains them to the places where their bodies have fallen. They are free to go, but still they can find themselves held in place by their looking. For those who have stayed, their prison is their never seeing, and left all alone, this is how they rot. I did not know it at the time, but the house that stands at the end of Teacup Road in the town of Braintree, Massachusetts, was such a house, a house that holds a seat for the memory of a death. The staying place of a rotted ghost at the time of my arrival in the first part of August, the house was occupied by Iris Blum, the author of thirteen novels, the kinds of thick and frightening books that people buy at airports and supermarkets. Of her books, I have read fewer than nine pages of only a single one and all the while suppressing a very bad taste. I am not even sure of the title. From where I am now, I can be sure of only a very few things. The pretty thing you are looking at is me. Of this I am sure. My name is Lily Sailor. I am a hospice nurse. Three days ago, I turned 28 years old. I will never be 29 years old. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 145 of Lupa's Bits. I am your host Lupa on this almost all Hallows Eve. Uh, what I just read you was the opening monologue from one of my favorite um, Halloween-y, October-y, psychological thriller movies. This one really gets into your head, and I just love the opening monologue, so I thought it would be absolutely perfect to start the podcast. Last week was called The Beginning. This is called The End. Um, now, that monologue comes from the supernatural gothic horror film called I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Now, it this is... It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 10th in 2016 and was released worldwide on Netflix on October 28th. Excuse me. The film received mixed to positive reviews from critics who praised its atmosphere and cinematography, but criticized its screenplay, slow pacing, and failure to explain the plot. And unfortunately, those people that were watching it did not get it. They didn't get it. It. Okay. So the script itself, there is very little. Um, dialogue, open dialogue from the um, main characters. And there is really only one main character. And that is um, Lily, the hospice nurse. You get a glimpse of Polly Parsons. You get a glimpse of um, 
Iris Blum. Iris has one small monologue, but she doesn't say really much. She doesn't really say anything else other than Polly. Uh, you meet the solicitor for the estate. He's a bit of a dick. <laughs> Uh, there is a handyman that comes and knocks on the door and says hello, but that's it. But most of it is um, narrated by Lily in the past tense. So you are kind of watching what feels like present tense, what feels like you're watching the movie play out up until the moment of her death. Um, yeah, there are spoilers, so if you haven't seen it, it sucks to be it. Um, but what is really happening is, like she says in her opening monologue, the ghosts stick around to catch the last few moments of their life. But their death, they, they, is blurry, is smeared. Um, and you have to remember, when you die, it's an eternity. So time is kind of, rel is kind of relative on the other side of the veil. I don't think time moves the same way as it does in the living realm. So the last few moments in the realm of the dead could be a couple of years, could be 11 months. For Lily, it was um, less than a year. Because she just turned 28. She didn't turn 29. So it was less than a year. So Iris Blum is a retired horror writer. And she suffers from dementia and lives in a remote house in Braintree, Massachusetts. The house was built by a man for his new bride. But the couple then vanishes on their wedding day and, left the house and leaves the house unfurnished. Iris is a state manager. He's the, the, the dickhead that I was telling you about, Mr. Waxcap hires a live-in nurse, Lily Saylor, to care for, for Iris. Now, on Lily's first night in the house, the telephone is yanked out of her hands by an unseen force. A figure in white is walking backwards and, you know, can be seen like her feet are facing the wrong direction, which Iris actually explains in her one and only monologue in the entire movie. Um, a spot or black mold appears on the wall and kind of slowly grows as the months pass. Lily finds a corner of the rug at the base of the stairs has been flipped up and she's the only person that walks on the first floor. Iris never leaves the first floor. So it's kind of odd. And unless you're paying attention, um, they do make reference to it. You do see it at the beginning of the movie and she kind of looks down and flips it back over with her foot. And every time she comes downstairs, she's flipping that corner back over. Um... So you right away, right from the very beginning, um, you get a sense that this is about a haunted house. Sorry, I needed a drink. Um, Iris only refers to Lily as Polly, which Mr. Waxcap explains was the protagonist in one of her most popular novels, The Lady in the Walls. Now, Lily opens up a copy of the book and finds that the novel implies that Iris knew Polly during her lifetime. And, you know, the, the um, introduction to the book, to every book, she does a dear reader and she explains that Polly told her this story after her death. So um, Lily opens a copy of the book 
And um, she finds that Iris knew Polly during her lifetime, and it's a retelling of her story in 1812. Polly, wearing a wedding dress and black blindfold, walks through an empty house under the watchful eye of her husband. In the kitchen, brief, uh, Lily briefly hallucinates that her arms have become bloated and covered in black mold spots. And then that evening, she spots the reflection of the figure dressed in white standing in her room. But when she turns, no one is there. Now, this is a really cool scene because um, she goes exploring the house at the beginning of the movie and she finds a TV and she's very happy to find a TV. And you have to remember this is out in the middle of the country. It's a landline telephone. For those of you that don't know what a landline telephone is, it's stuck to the wall, wired to the house with a long cord. You can't, it's not a cordless phone. Um, and you have, it's got a rotary dial to it. So there is no cable out here. There is no Wi-Fi out here. <laughs> There's nothing. There are rabbit ears on the TV. And she's trying to get a channel and and she doesn't. And she's like, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Stop. And she would turn it and there'd be nothing. Um, so then she tries it again and it shuts off. And you can see in the reflection of the TV behind her, the bride standing in the doorway freaks her right out. So um, she discovers a moldy cardboard box hidden away in a closet inside a rough drafts for the lady in the walls. And she comes to believe that the novel may not be fictitious, but rather depicts an actual murder committed in the house. Uh, in 1912, the blindfolded Polly uses her hands to feel her surroundings. Uh, coming across a wall that has been stripped of its board, the same section where the mold is growing in present day with Lily. Polly raises her blindfold and sees the hole. She locks eyes with her husband in confusion. Her husband suddenly bludgeons her to death with a hammer and hides her body behind the wall. Now, the story is told throughout the movie in bits and pieces that Polly came from a wealthy family the husband did not. He got a hefty dowry and he murdered her, put her in the walls, took the money and, run, and ran. And everybody assumed that the two of them had taken off, not realizing that, you know, she was there. In the present, Polly tries to discuss the book with Iris and Iris angri angrily explains that Polly betrayed and abandoned her and reminds her that even the prettiest of things eventually rot. Polly's ghost visits Iris, whispering in her ear, um, investigating a mysterious sound. Lily finds the wallboards have been removed and piled beside the moldy wall. Turning, she sees what appears to be the ghost of Polly. And now when she first starts reading the book, The Lady in the Walls, um, like she says in her opening monologue, she's only read nine pages. She gets nine pages in. She's lying in bed, reading it on a thundery, stormy, rainy night. She gets nine pages in and she closes the book. And, and she's like, you silly, silly goose, you silly goose, you silly goose. It's just words on paper. It's just words on paper. She scares the crap out of herself. And she's, she has told the solicitor as well that she scares very, very, very easily. So, and you do get the sense throughout the movie that she is very high strung. So when she sees the ghost of Polly, um, it scares her so bad she dies of a heart attack. 
So several days after uh, Mr. Waxcap discovers Lily and Iris's bodies because Iris tried to get out of bed, I guess, and fell. Years later, a new family moves into the house and they are now being watched over by Lily's ghost. So it's it's very, um, that's when you realize at the end of the movie, or when the new family is there, that she is retelling the story of her death, that it's already gone and passed. And when she was there, the pretty thing in that she was seeing was Polly. And she was learning a Polly story, and now the new family is there, and the pretty thing that they're seeing is her. So you realize at the end of the movie that the beginning of the movie was her recounting her story to the new family, telling her tale to the new family. So um, a lot of people didn't, like, like I said, it's a very psychological movie and you really have to pay attention. And it's more about atmospheric acting than it is um verbal explanation of what's happening so if you're not watching the screen and you're not paying attention to the subtle nuances of what's going on in the background what she's seeing things that have been moved or replaced things that are from polly's time in 18 whatever not um lily's time in 1980 um or the new family's time in present day, then you will miss the concept of the movie. So, like I said, it's a psychological thriller, supernatural horror. It's supposed to be horror, but there is no uh, blood, guts, and gore. There is no slasher. There is no... Um, there. Are, there's really no jump scares. It's more... Um, atmospheric and ambionic, ambient um, creepiness. I love it. It's one of my absolute favorite movies. And it was the one I have been planning this podcast for a while now. Um, I knew I wanted to read that monologue at the beginning of the podcast because it kind of sets the tone for how things are going to be for the rest of the podcast. Because it is all about the creepy. It is all about the scary. It is all about the haunted and the urban legends and all of the things that go bump in the night on Halloween. So welcome to the Halloween edition of Lupus Bits. Uh, A little bit of housekeeping now that we are 15 minutes in, um, the new magazine is out, came out two days ago, three days ago, three days ago. So, uh, remember, please, please remember if you order a copy, it takes six to eight weeks to produce that copy. Please be patient. Um, Uh, oh right <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't have my live studio audience with me tonight uh, he has other plans he's doing family night with his with his girls um, and I didn't actually get housekeeping from him beforehand 
So we're just kind of winging it. Um, all of the acceptances for um, I don't know some book, the monster within, <laughs> tales of a tortured mind. Uh, have gone out, contracts have gone out and been signed, and the book is being released October 31st. Uh, so look forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. All of the stories, I think out of all of the anthologies that we have done through Zombie Works, this has to be one of the creepiest one of the holy crappiest it's not crappy but like you're reading it going holy crap um it's easy to write supernatural characters it's easy to write a killer who's possessed by a demon or by an evil entity it's easy to write um a fictional bloodbath like jason or freddy or it's it's easy to take the unimaginable and write about it but to take a human mind with human restrictions and write something so horrific but so believable is an incredible talent and this book is full of such incredible talent and then there's one by me um but to, to delve into the twistedness of the human psyche. And every single one of these stories could potentially be ripped from the headlines. Um, I think the one that really got to me the most uh, would have to be Don't Knock It Till You Try It. I believe that's the one. I'm pretty sure that's the one. Um, yeah, that one, uh, hands down, if, if that's the right title, hands down, that one just, I, I am glad I edited that one in the middle of the afternoon, because if I did that before I went to bed, I would not be going to bed. That is nightmare inducing and runs in a very, very real gamut in a very real arena because there are people out there exactly like the people in this story and every single one of them that I read I'm kind of like yeah I remember reading a story about a guy like that or yeah that is potentially that could potentially happen so yeah this has to be one of the um creepiest most horrific anthologies that zombie works has put out it is not for the light of heart and i don't say that because it's graphic it's like there's not a lot of of um over the top blood guts and gore because that's not what this theme was about it was about what one human being one human mind could do to another human being with nothing more than just human restriction um and it's horrific because now you're looking at people around you going are you like that are you thinking that like because you don't know 
You don't know. You just don't know. So, yeah, uh, it's a good one. It's a real, it's, it, it, wow. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Wow. And so what's all your plans for Halloween? Are you going to parties? Are you going, staying home, shelling out candy? Staying home, eating all the candy? Your little ones, you taking out trick-or-treating? Um, did you decorate? Are you having a house party? Are you going to a house party? Are you going to, what are you doing? I am um, going on a paranormal tour. I think that's what you could call it. Um, we've made kind of, well, I've left this in the hands of um, Mish, the person that I'm going with. I'm just the driver. She's going to be the navigator. She's going to map out years and years and years and years and years ago. We used to just get in the car at like 10, 11 o'clock at night and just drive the back roads just for shits and giggles. And we used to come across some really messed up stuff. And we, we'd play a game that we invented called Profit Radio. So what you do is you take your radio. Excuse me again. Oh, now I think I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. Good heavens. Okay. Ah. Anyway, so you take your radio. And it could be like your your whatever. It, it's really hard to do with um, online radio because it doesn't have a scan button. So it's, it's better if you use like um, a radio, a physical radio or the radio in your car, something or your stereo system, something that has a scan button. So you ask your question whatever it may be and then you hit the scan button and the very first song that it stops on is what your uh the, your answer is now let me see i happen to have a little radio right here i can figure out how it works let's see Doo -doo. it's so pretty and it's gonna make a little dingly sound see because it just connected to my phone um so we're gonna fix that did I just turn it off? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, there we go. Okay. Wait, what did I do? Okay, so let's see. Um, are we going to have a fun time on Halloween on our little paranormal road trip? You hit scan and you wait. Let's see if it finds a radio station. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how it works. To be honest, how this radio works. Okay. Oh, there we go. I think it's scanning. Maybe. I should have probably read the instructions. I don't know what it just did. I think he just paired to my phone again. Anyway, so whatever song it lands on, like you can make your own rules too, like talk radio, 
doesn't count. Commercials don't count. Anything in a foreign language doesn't count because you don't understand it. So, um, oh, there we go. We got something. I think that was the volume. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to pick anything up. Anyway, so yeah, that's what you do. And then you take whatever song comes up. That is your answer. And it can get pretty accurate sometimes. It can be pretty funny. Um, it's just a fun little game to play. Uh, if you want to try and like spook yourself out. So, um, Profit Radio. <laughs> we have played it often. It's a lot of fun. We've asked it some pretty off the, the stop. Okay, now it's just being weird. I don't know what's happening now. I've turned it off. Oh, oh, I had something. I don't know how to go back. That would have been my answer. It almost sounded like dis... <laughs> okay. So this is my answer. <laughs> okay. So that's kind of funny. Um, it's not playing from my phone. I don't even think I have this song on my phone, actually. But it's kind of ironic that this is the song that it chose to answer my question. Okay, before we get into any copyright infringement, I should probably turn that radio off there. I just turned the switch to the off position. So, there you go. It's going to be a magical night, or we're going to do magic, or uh, I don't know. But it's going to be something. <laughs> and you'll hear all about it. Um, next week. You'll hear all about it next week. So, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, we will be playing... Blah, 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 blah. We will be playing a little profit radio in the car. Um, there's somebody parked outside at the moment. Ow! Okay, I keep smacking my head off the window frame. I'm not happy. Crystal laughed at me the other night because I did that. So, um, we're going to check out a few places. And I might have some audio clips for you. I, I might post some video clips. Who knows what we're going to encounter. We might not even get out of the car because, you know, we sound big and brave. But anybody who's been on an investigation with Misha and I know that there's a certain point that if we hide to turn around and run, <laughs> we tell you. Run with us. Don't stick around and go, what just happened? No, no. If we turn around and run, run. We took a group um, investigating, gosh, years ago. I don't even know how many years ago. Um, 
let's consult the Facebook. We took a group investigating and they wanted to experience, but not have their pants scared off them. So we knew of a few places that we could take them. Um, a few of the cemeteries around town were fairly benign. So we thought, you know what, we'll start with the dead ones. No pun intended. Um, what we would call dead zones, which means that there was nothing there. It was basically a void. There was no paranormal activity whatsoever. Um, so we would start there and we would kind of work them up to, um, I'm trying to find my albums. We would work them up to the, um, more active cemeteries and then we would take them to Fuller Avenue. Now, if you're not from the area, you won't know what Fuller Avenue is. Uh, there used to be the frame, the base frame of a house, the base frame of the outbuildings. There was in the garage, there was still a 1950s car, but it looked like somebody had picked it up and flipped it because it was upside down. Halfway out of the garage. Um, we only ever went in there at night. So to go there, or I mean, we only ever went in there. I don't know why I said at night. We only ever went in there during the day because it was that creepy. It You could have experiences like you could be walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. And then like all you can't find your friends. You don't hear anybody. There's nobody around. But your friends are literally five feet away from you. It's it's like stepping into um, a different world, a different environment, like into a vortex. So this was um, 2007 when we took them on this investigation. And we went to several, there was a group of us. Um, let me see if I can find a photo with everybody in it. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six. There were seven of us, I believe. Yeah, there was six of us. There might have been six of us. And Misha and I were, were leading. So we've got several pictures of um, energy and um, we got chased out of one graveyard. <laughs> I actually have a picture of it. Um, like this ball of light behind the van following us out. There is no other dust. There is no other um, bugs or particles or anything else. Then we went to Fuller Avenue. We started walking in the trail. Now there is a trail that runs along the water on the front side of what would be the property. So we start walking down this trail and the minute we pulled up, I looked at Mish and I went, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling comfortable about this. And she's like, yeah, me neither. Um, but everybody was excited. So we laid down the ground rules. 
stay behind us if we say run turn around and run back to the van if we say go go don't ask why don't ask questions just go we will explain when we get back to the van we grounded everybody we saged everybody um we had everybody put up their protection shields and in we went misha and i went first and we could feel it the closer and closer and closer we got to it the group started commenting on how they could they felt like we were being followed they felt like we were being watched and um misha and i were like "Mm mm-hmm yeah yeah (laughs) we are aware um so we kind of tightened up the bubble around us and it got to a point going down the trail that it felt like we were walking through syrup um think of corn syrup that's gotten cold so it has that consistency that's what it felt like it wasn't like molasses it felt more like corn syrup stickier thicker more viscous so it was pulling at us and then i i don't know how i what happened but i ended up in front and i i was a good three feet i think in front of mish and i literally hit a wall of negative energy and i mean it was a solid wall and i walked right into it i felt like i was covered in cobwebs I felt like I had been hit by a Mack truck and she came right up behind me and she hit it too. The two of us looked at each other and I don't even think we said anything. We just looked at the group and we're like, we're out. Back to the van. We started going and we passed everybody. Well, then as we're running um, to get out of there, to get it off of us, (laughs) the group is passing us now because now they're realizing the guides that know what they're doing, that know how to handle this kind of stuff, is running. We need to not be in here. So they're running with us now and they're passing us. Several of them beat us back to the van. So we get back to the van, we get into the van, we cleanse, we get rid of everything, um, we do what we need to do to prevent any attachments, and then we sat in the van with the headlights on. And I actually expected to see a physical person come down that trail. Nothing in the living realm came down the trail, (laughs) but we could feel this oppressive energy getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And we turned to hightail it out of there. And as we're like, I'm about to tromp on the gas and get us out of there. All of a sudden there's this little tiny mouse in the middle of the road, sitting up on its hind legs, looking at us. And we're all just staring at this little tiny mouse standing in the middle of the road, just staring at us like he had nothing better to do in the world. And then we could feel it. It was like right behind the van. And I'm like, you know what? Terribly sorry. If I happen to run you over, little dude, um, my bad. And I just got us out of there. Drove like a bat out of hell to get out of there. (laughs) 
Now, if you go in there today, it's an entirely different feel. It's still negative energy, but it's not um, so much of a collected negative energy because what they did is the area um, was deemed a historical site because of this wall that the owner had built when he built the property. They didn't take into account the Italian tiling that was there and just the, oh. And they went in with a bulldozer and they just bulldozed and dug up and covered up everything that was there. They took out the oil heater. They took out the foundations or they just covered it up. Well, I know they pulled the oil heater out because it was sitting on the ground. I could actually put hands on it instead of looking down into the pit of the basement of the house. Um, but the pit, they just filled in with dirt. They just backfilled everything and buried it all under dirt. So now it's a muted energy as it's trying to reestablish itself. So... Yeah, that is one of the places I think I do want to check out. Um, just so you all know, um, there will be precautionary measures taken for me because of my past history. Um, it was actually three, three years ago, possibly three years ago. Years ago? Um, I'm trying to think. Grandma died. Um, we must consult the Facebook Oracle yet again. <laughs> um, I look at my memories. Actually, I can check my um, TikTok. Shush. Don't you just, just, just no comments. Okay. Uh, because I did a lot of videos when I was having the, uh, issues with the creepy energy. So if I check my, um, on this day, it will, it should tell me, oh, look at that. That might not be one though. Well, yeah, it would be. It was around that same time. I'm just trying to see what it is. Um, it looks like I'm wearing work clothes. So, updates to my post. Whoa, wait a minute. Did I get another? Ah, yes, there we are, 2020. So, it was three years ago. Oh, just looking at the video, I'm getting this awful awful feeling in the pit of my stomach. I can't even, um, and yeah, I, I, wow, I'm not even, anyway, so yeah, three years ago was when I had the issue. So yes, precautionary measures will be taken. Um, I need to pause for a moment. I shall be right back. Nobody go anywhere. All right. We're back. <laughs> 
that was uh, interesting. So we're not going to talk about that anymore. Um, let's just 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 know that I will be protected. Okay. So um, yeah. Now we're going to get into uh, a little bit of the meat of this podcast. Um, we're about 40 minutes in now. Sure, why not? So we're going to talk about the top 10... From the icy sca- reaches of the Ukraine. I didn't ask you to interrupt. What the hell? Anyway, so we are going to apparently not watch that. Um, I live in an area that is known for its activity. It's known in Ontario for its paranormal activity. Um, There is a paranormal society. There is also another paranormal group in the area, the Canadian Paranormal Society. Um, There are a lot of interesting haunted places in the area one that i do enjoy going to quite often um, i do hang out there quite often is um the pioneer village and you've heard me talk about it it's wonderful i love it um so georgina has a unique history of being a hotbed for paranormal activity this includes UFOs, rake sightings, and ghosts dressed in Victorian era gar- era garments. They've been seen walking up and down my street. Every building on here is um, a historical building. It's an old building. It has history. The river right behind my house, there have been suicides in that river. There have been murders in that river. There have been tons of drownings in that river. So, um... The paranormal activity happens year-round, but in the fall, when the veil is being lifted between this world and the next, uh, people are paying more attention, and it tends to seem like this area is has more activity. It's only because people are actually starting to pay attention because it's creepy season. So, um, I'm just trying to... I'm skimming the article because it's... A lot of stuff about the group that does paranormal investigating around here, and I want the history. So in Pefferlaw, there have been reports of a phantom train going down the tracks in the area of Station Road and Pefferlaw Road, with people reporting feeling a breeze as though a, pra- a train is passing by, um, and being compelled to stop at the tracks even when no train is around. Loud horse hooves pounding the pavement have also been reported. The same with my street. You can hear what sounds like horse and and carriage going down the street on cobblestones. There are no cobblestones out there. Um, While the road is completely deserted, as well as a male hitchhiker who disappears as soon as someone stops their car. I uh, honestly, I actually believe I have seen this male hitchhiker coming home at night from visiting Uh, Coming down 48, I do believe I have seen this male hitchhiker. There have been a lot of sightings of a skinwalker, rake, or shapeshifter. Um, That's the south end of Keswick through to the uptown. Uh, It's a humanoid with large head, big eyes, hairless, and walks on all fours. 
These sightings usually take place between midnight and 4 a.m. There have been reported sightings in the Hollywood Boulevard and Lake Drive South, as well as the CIBC Bank in Uptown Keswick. Um, In that area, there are other paranormal activity pockets throughout Keswick. And Keswick by the Lake subdivision with multiple ghostly encounters. The Stephen Leacock Theatre and feelings of being influenced by the ghosts of Stephen Leacock himself. And Christ Church and the graveyard in Roche's Point providing an electric atmosphere where light anomalies and voices have been seen and heard among the gravestones. Um, Sutton and Jackson's Point are also areas where paranormal activity is highly reported. The Briar Hill Cemetery, there have been reports of creatures that look watery and creepy being seen by the river. These creatures can only be seen as they walk past you and look almost fluid-like. While some believe they are elementals, some believe their origin may be alien, as UFOs have been seen over the Black River. You know, that river that runs right behind my house. There is speculation there may be a UFO landing base at the base of Snake and Georgina Island, as UFOs have been reported coming out of and going into the lake. People living on Hedge Road near the Briars Resort and Spa have reported seeing ghosts dressed in Victorian fashion. There was even a report of a family noticing a large pair of disembodied leather boots pacing back and forth in front of their cottage door around for around 20 minutes, then disappearing. Um, and these stories are just the tip of the iceberg regarding the paranormal activity in Georgina. Um, but yeah, like there's a lot of stuff going on. So I might actually, if I have the gas and we have the gas money, I might incorporate swinging by up here to some of the areas, to the Stephen Leacock home, to the graveyard at the end of Lake Road. Um, I think that's the Briar Hill Cemetery. Uh, there's a lot of really cool places around here. So, yeah. I live in a, quite a hotbed of um, activity. So, it just in my area, there is the Kempenfelt Conference Center in Innisfil. Uh, the Sharon Temple in East Willembury. And that was built in 1832 and was fully restored in 2011. Ghostly activity there includes the sounds of a large feast being prepared, music, footsteps, and more. Um, Anchor Park. Rumor has it that a girl was murdered at Anchor Park and her body was found hanging on a swing set swing. The swing is now said to swing all by itself at night. The New Market Inn, uh, folks at the New Market Inn have reported seeing apparitions of a man wearing a blue coat and hearing disembodied screams. Uh, Harrison Henry Harrison House, Grey Goat Pub in New Market. Um, Wild Wing in New Market. <laughs> Stephen Leacock Museum in Aurelia, and then the Opera House, of course the Opera House, Jester's Court Pub and Eatery, uh, Port Perry Ghost Road. I was trying to find my Ghosts of Ontario book. 
I know it's over there on the bookshelf somewhere, but I couldn't put my hands on it quickly enough um, for the uh, podcast. So we're going with what I found online. So with the spookiest time of year being here, um, during, okay, so this is an article in, let's see, uh, 2022 in the com newspaper. So it says, with the spookiest time of year behind them, remember this is last year, the Georgina Paranormal Society is looking for ways to involve residents in their ghoulish world. During the pandemic, GPS Executive Director Linda Quinero took to filing and categorizing haunting activity in town. For more than 40 years, Quirino has been investigating paranormal activity in Toronto and across York Region. There's a lot of them. There's something bigger here, she said, of the hundreds of sightings and strange and unusual events in town. Georgina is way more active and way more haunted than people can even imagine. No shit, Sherlock! <laughs> I can tell you the oh hell no you need to go dude where are you going hang on i need to deal with a spider ah! all right i think it's dead it's a schmear now so now i have a ghost spider in my apartment i have several ghost spiders in my apartment so, in-person, bi-monthly meetings. They have meetings, yada, yada, yada. Um, okay, there's definitely something in the water, as water tends to attract spirit energy. There has been a case for paranormal researchers and local historian, local history columnist and author Andrew Hind. Hind is a Bradford West Gwillenbury resident and has penned numerous books detailing hauntings and sightings across Canada, including ghost stories from Niagara-on-the-Lake, Muskoka, Lake Simcoe, and the Great Lakes. I have lived in just about every haunted area in Ontario, I'm noticing. His latest book, Muskoka's Most Haunted, delves into the haunted history of cottage country, where I live. Mankind has always believed water to have mystical qualities. Look no further than wishing wells. We certainly don't have any scientific evidence to suggest spirits are attracted to water. One theory says ghosts may be attracted to water because they use the water's energy to materialize. Flowing water, rivers, waterfalls, ocean currents, has an electrical charge. Water attracts more energy and allows people to experience more phenomena. Hence, the river behind my freaking house! Water is such a powerful connection and gateway of communication to the other side. Georgina is also rich with historical energy. Um... Haunting isn't always bad and doesn't invoke the head-spinning, screechy-voiced ghost-like creatures in horror films. While ghost stories born of tragedy make for great storytelling, that's not often the case. There are plenty of cases where spirits remain behind because of positive emotion or love for a person, familiarity, or comfort in a place. Many people report warm, calming sensations when experiencing a ghost. Uh, there's different types of hauntings as well. There's residual, intelligent, and poltergeist. This is where I'm going to have to disagree because poltergeist isn't necessarily a haunting. Poltergeist is energy created by a living person. So there's that. Um, 
Residual hauntings are usually when a great when there's a great exchange of energy, and it happens at the precise moment at a precise location, such as a car accident. The impact was so intense that it left an imprint on that area. So what you're seeing with a residual haunting is more of like you're watching a video of, you know, when you get a TikTok video or a, a Facebook reel and it's on a loop. That's what it is. They can't interact with you. They're not cognizant of you being there. It's like an energetic recording on a loop. So intelligent hauntings are said to be able to communicate with the haunted through recorded sounds or instrumentation. Then there's the poltergeist phenomenon, when something has been invited into the area through the likes of a spirit board that is not entirely friendly. See, I'm disagreeing. Poltergeist is not that kind of energy. They're not rogue spirits. Okay, I'm going to have to disagree with this article and um, move on. So haunted places in Georgina, Keswick, between Glen Woods Avenue and Ravenshoe Road, uh, Skinwalker, uh, Wexford and Burnbury Drive and Carrick Avenue in Keswick, Child Ghosts, Protective Spirits, um, Sutton, Jackson's Point, High Street, where I live, Queen Street, Briar Hill Cemetery, and Jackson's Point. Reported sightings of alien activity, UFO sightings, and 15-foot-tall, dark, top-hatted men dressed in cloaks. I haven't seen them yet. Uh, there's a lot of lore and folklore about the area, with some reports dating back to the 1800s. Um, Sutton, the John Link Avenue community, reported sightings, small fires in home that won't that don't set off the smoke alarm. It may not be the home, but elemental spirits of the land. Plenty of the land was cleared for subdivision. Appeasing elemental spirits by planting and nurturing a tree typically stops the haunting activity. Um, we told you, I've told you about Pefferlaw already. So let's talk about urban. Where did the urban legend? Oh, you know what? That's because I opened it. All right. So. Um, there we are. That's the one I wanted. Canadian urban legends. So we have a few. Um, I wanted more of Ontario urban legends, but our urban legends seem to be. What is happening? What is happening? Where is my article? Okay, so this is our money. These aren't, I don't understand. I'm having a hard time finding what I wanted to um, share with you because this isn't going into, it says urban legends, but there is not one urban legend to be found. So back we go. Um, here we go. Let's see. Toronto has a lot of urban legends. And most people have actually heard of Toronto. So I think we'll stick. The heck was that? I'm freaked out now since I saw the spider. <laughs> I wonder if that's the one from the bathroom that I was trying to kill. 
Uh, Toronto's a bustling city brimming with culture and commerce and has its own creepy urban legends. While they should be taken with a grain of salt, it's eerily fascinating to hear about strange occurrences from ghostly experiences at University of Toronto to secret alien bases beneath Lake Ontario. Below is the list of the creepiest urban myths Toronto has to offer. All right. So, are you ready? The Cave Monster. Flashback to your adventurous self from childhood. Engaged in a round of hide-and-seek in your neighborhood with friends, you find the perfect hiding place, an empty concrete tunnel. Crawling into the tunnel and looking up ahead, all you encounter in the darkness is a pair of red eyes. Looking back, menacingly whispering, Leave me alone. While this story could sound like a cautionary tale for children told by parents, it wasn't far from the truth. In 1979, a 51-year-old man named Ernest went looking for his missing kitten on Parliament Street and had such an experience. The monster was described as having gray fur, red eyes, and weighing approximately 30 pounds. The story was prompt, has prompted the City of Toronto to inspect the tunnel over safety concerns that children might try to enter. There were no other eyewitnesses, and it has all the traits of being a perfect urban legend, a monster, an intriguing story, mystery, and the ability to give you goosebumps. Uh, Lady in Red in Lower Bay Station. Now, I actually know somebody who works who worked for the TTC, and they were the first ones to tell me about this particular urban legend that all of the people that worked for the TTC know about it. Some people have seen it. So the, just to the surprise of many, the TTC map doesn't show every single stop that was once a part of Toronto's underground system. There are hidden stations no longer in service, which are normally inaccessible. Lower Bay Station was opened during the early days of the TTC, but abandoned later on. Today, the station is often used for filming Hollywood films or music videos. However, it's a dark oblivion that echoes within itself when filming ceases. There are even rumors amongst TTC workers of a ghost called the Lady in Red, wearing a red dress who appears on the platform when no one else is around. Alien Base. What do Area 51 and lake ontario have in common very little apart from alien conspiracy underneath the lake according to conspiracy theorists and extraterrestrial enthusiasts is an alien base which causes strange light patterns to be to be occasionally seen it's rumored that orbs of light seen during the night fly in the general direction of a power plant located in mississauga the lakeview hydroelectric power plant as far as credible UFO sightings go, there isn't conclusive evidence to prove that a base exists in the lake. Still, the thought of aliens choosing to live in Toronto underneath the sewage disposal is humorous, to say the least. Now, when I was very little, I would say probably three or four, um, I have a memory of lying. I used to, and I still to this day, when I can do it, I still love to do it. I would lie down in the back seat and I would push my head up against the door as far as I could and look up out the window so that I could see 
the stars and the streetlights and the sky going by as we were driving. Um, and we used to take the lake shore. And I remember this one particular night seeing these weird lights in the sky. So I kind of turned over and crept up and peeked out the window. That's how I know I was little, because I was little enough to peek out over the door out and out the window and saw what I, to this day, believe was a UFO. Now, funny story. Years and years and years and years and years and years and years later, I'm all grown up and we're all sitting around and we're talking about weird experiences that we had had. And I tell this story and my mother pipes up and she says that she remembers that night because she saw them too. And that she also had a similar experience other than this particular night of seeing UFOs in the same area over the lake. So, yeah, interesting. Not saying UFOs are real, but there's been no proof that they aren't. Um, so, University of Toronto Soldiers Tower. And this, it would give me the willies going by it when uh, I lived in the city. So the University of Toronto downtown is a collection of historical structures with a long history of achievements. It isn't surprising to hear that there are some urban legends attached to Toronto's historical university. The Soldier's Tower, a bell and clock tower unveiled in 1924, serves as a memorial to the Canadian soldiers who fought in the World Wars. Supposedly, a caretaker slipped off the bell to, off the tower while cleaning the bell and fell to his death in the 1930s. Today, some students have claimed to see a man falling off the tower, but upon arriving to the scene, there was no one in sight. At night, others say the caretaker's room is lit with his silhouette. Um, the Legend of Gibraltar Point Lighthouse a historic relic in the Toronto Islands, this lighthouse is shrouded in mystery in a mysterious legend that has existed for over a century. According to legend, the first keeper of the lighthouse, J.P. Raiden Mueller, angered some soldiers from Fort York. <laughs> Mueller was selling whiskey to the soldiers when they discovered he was watering down their liquor. When the soldiers confronted Mueller, a drunken brawl broke out and the lighthouse keeper was murdered. The only signs of suspicion was blood cascading down the spiraling staircase, with no body in sight. Years later, in 1893, another lighthouse keeper, George Duman, Durnan? Duman, anyway, decided to search for the corpse and eventually discovered the scattered bones were buried near the lighthouse. A jawbone was found a jawbone was found, although it was not possible to conclude whether or not it was Mueller's. As one of the oldest urban legends in Toronto, the truth behind Mueller's death and the identity of the murderers remains a mystery to this day. The Royal Ontario Museum's Overly Attached Director so, the ROM, since 1914, the ROM features stunning historical artifacts and is a top tourist destination in Toronto. I have been to the ROM. Uh, however, 
When night falls, things have the potential to get creepy. An empty, quiet, dark museum is strange all on its own, but a ghost walking its halls as the finishing is the finishing touch. According to the night shift, security workers at the ROM, former director Charles Trick Corral stalks the halls from time to time at the East Asiatic Collections. On several occasions, there have been reports of ghostly experiences in the museum, such as shoulder taps, voices, and an eerie atmosphere. Not only is the ROM a destination for history buffs, it is also the place to go for paranormal thrill seekers. Okay, so that is all of that. Uh, let's delve into some scary urban legends that will give you the chills. Children of Old Finch. So we'll start out with an urban legend that I was told as a teenager. The Old Finch Bailey Bridge in Scarborough was built in 1954 as a temporary bridge to replace the previous bridge destroyed by Hurricane Hazel. The bridge is used by vehicles crossing the Rouge River and hikers can take advantage of Finch Meander Trail nearby. As the story goes, a girl was brutally murdered on the bridge along the road on her birthday. She had been celebrating her birthday when she was separated from her friends and her mangled body was found the following day. The killer was never caught. As the urban legend goes, if you cross the bridge during witching hour, when it is fully dark and are brave enough to sing happy birthday, you will hear a girl screaming as if being tormented. Another story has it that a set of train tracks crossing Old Finch is haunted by the ghosts of children killed in a school bus incident in the 1970s. Some claim their cars have stalled near the tracks. Others have said their headlights randomly flickered on and off. Other stories suggest that if you are driving through on a foggy night, you can see handprints of children all over your car. Haunting of the Keg Mansion Enjoy a great steak with a side of ghost story? Keg Mansion surely has it all. The initial structure was built in 1867, and at the time Jarvis Street was one of the wealthiest parts of Toronto lined by large manors. In 1873, Hart Massey of Massey Hall and his wife brought the prop bought the property and moved in. During the Massey's occupancy, many deaths occurred. The Massey's only daughter, Lillian, died of disease while living in the house. Shortly after, out of grief, the family servant hung herself in the front foyer, and an unnamed boy also died falling down the stairs of the mansion. In 1976, the keg repurposed the building to serve as a restaurant. Both staff and guests have since reported hearing the sounds of phantom children playing in the upper floors and kitchen. Staff have reported that some children have even asked their parents if they can play with the boy on the stairs. Related or not, we thought we should mention that in 2016, a 23-year-old man broke into the keg mansion, fell through the stained glass window of the third floor, and died shortly of his injuries. Ah, the Distillery District. The Distillery District in Toronto is an iconic neighborhood, recognized as a National Historic Site the Nor and North America's largest collection of over 30 Victorian-era industrial buildings. 
The history of the distillery district began in 1831 when brothers-in-laws named James Wurtz and William William Gooderham migrated to Toronto to establish a milling company. Between 1830 and 1890, Gooderham and Wurtz grew to become the largest distillery in the British Empire. Anything this historic is bound to have some scary tales, and the distillery district is no exception. Legend has it that James Wirt himself roams the premise. Struck by grief after passing after the passing of his wife in 1834, Wirtz drowned himself in a nearby well. There have been many ghostly sightings with reports of excuse me, random doors opening and closing and loud banging heard in some of the rooms. That's it? That's all you're giving me? Really? Ugh. Well, that's depressing. I was just getting into that. That was kind of good. Um, let's see. What have we got here? <sighs> oh, right. Well, I can't leave the United States out. That would just not be fair to all of my American listeners. So let's just see what we've got. We're going to, what kind of time we're looking at here? We got a bit of a time. We got a bit of time. I've only been at this for an hour. I still have a voice. Let's go. I've been doing two hour podcasts lately. All right. I had to have a drink. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start with the A's, apparently. Alabama. Hell's Gate Bridge. I have been there. The generally accepted story of Hell's Gate Bridge starts in the 1950s. A young couple driving over the bridge somehow drove their car off the bridge one night, and they both drowned. Now, there are two legends associated with Hell's Gate Bridge. One that if you drive your car out in the middle of the bridge and turn off the lights... The couple will magically appear in your car and leave a wet spot on the seat. The other, which is how the bridge got its name, is the belief that if you drive over the bridge and look over your shoulder halfway through, the scenery behind you turns into a portal to hell engulfed in flames. Potentially, to curb ghost hunters and bored teenagers, Hell's Gate Bridge is closed to cars and it is in such disrepair that walking across is strongly discouraged. Now we are off to Alaska, the Kushtaka of the Alaskan Triangle. Everyone knows the story of the Bermuda Triangle, but you might not know about the Alaskan Triangle. On average, five out of every 1,000 people go missing in Alaska, according to the LA Times. So, even if there's nothing supernatural going on, it's easy to get lost in the Alaskan wilderness. The Lingit tribe who live in Juneau have their own explanation for the high number of missing people. Evil spirits called the Kushtaka. The Kushtaka are shapeshifters, half man, half otter, who lure women and children to the water with fake cries in order to steal their human spirits and drown them. Arizona, the ghosts of Slaughterhouse Canyon. The story of Slaughterhouse Canyon, also called the less frightening Luana's Canyon, takes place during the gold rush. During the 1800s, there was a family who lived down in the canyon. They were very poor, so the father would venture out into the canyon for food for his family. 
As you might have guessed, one day the father didn't come home, so his family slowly starved and descended into madness. The mother, unable to bear listening to her children's cries anymore, put on her wedding dress, murdered her children, and then threw them into a nearby river. The next day, she succumbed to starvation herself. The legend states that if you go down to Slaughterhouse Canyon at night, even now, you will hear the loud, anguished cries of the mother who lost her mind. Arkansas, the Boggy Creek Monster. There's actually a danger sign posted to a tree that says Bigfoot area. Stay on marked trails. Apparently Bigfoot won't bother you if you are on a marked trail. The Boggy Creek Monster of Fook is Arkansas's version of Sasquatch. He's commonly accepted to be around seven or eight feet tall and covered in hair. Legend says that he roams the creek of rural Arkansas. He was first spotted in 1834 when people reported seeing a wild man. People still claim to spot the Boggy Creek monster today, and he has been the subject of five feature-length films, including 1972's The Legend of Boggy Creek. Ah, California, the Charman. The Charman's origin story is gruesome. A father and son were both caught in a house fire and horribly burnt in 1948. After the fire, the son became so mentally unstable that he killed his father. When the police found the son, he was so unrecognizably burnt, they didn't realize he was alive, so he ran away before they were able to arrest him for the murder of his father. The story goes that ever since then, the charman can be spotted wandering the woods surrounding Oja, occasionally approaching tents of innocent campers or pretending to be a hitchhiker and then attempting to attack them. Colorado, the many legends of Riverdale Road. Riverdale Road is the site of not one, but eight creepy stories. Ranging from a hell's gate to ghosts of slaves hanging from the trees, the stretch of road is decidedly spooky. The creepiest story, though, is that of the phantom jogger. One day, there was a driver who hit a jogger, freaked out, and left him for dead. Now, it's said that if you park at the site, site of the crash, you'll hear disembodied footsteps getting closer and closer to your car. People have reported handprints on their windows and banging noises as if someone was kicking the outside. Yeah, it freaked me out. Uh, Connecticut, Hannah Crana. Alrighty. Known as the Wicked Witch of Monroe, Hannah Crana gained a reputation as a witch in the 19th century when her husband died by mysteriously falling off a cliff. And locals reportedly believed that she had bewitched him. People also believed that she would cast spells on people she didn't like. Hannah lived to the age of 77, but right before she died, she asked to be carried down to the cemetery by her coffin, in her coffin, by foot, not wagon. After her death, the people of Monroe tried to wheel her coffin down the hill, but were unable. The coffin kept falling off, so they were forced to carry it. When the townspeople returned to her home, it was found to be engulfed in flames, sealing Hannah's reputation of witchcraft. Now, you can actually visit her real grave in Trumbull. Delaware, the ghost of Mr. Chew. While not a particularly mean-spirited ghost, Samuel Chu's story is still disconcerting. Chu was the Chief Justice of the Delaware Supreme Court in 1741. 
As the story goes, while he was alive, he always didn't always get the respect he deserved. People frequently made fun of his name by mimicking sneezes while he walked by. After his death, people reported seeing his ghost sitting under a poplar tree, wandering the courthouse, and generally creeping out the residents of Dover. Chew would also pull on men's coattails and give women a cold, icy feeling. Florida! Oh, they actually have a sign posted. The gravity-defying Spook Hill. Ages ago, and this is the sign, so I'll read you the sign first. So the legend of Spook Hill. Ages ago, an Indian town on Lake, Lake Wales Lake was plagued with raids by a huge gator. The town's great warrior chief and the gator were killed in a final battle that created the huge swampy depression nearby. The chief was buried on its north side later. Pioneer haulers coming from the old army trail atop the ridge above found their horses laboring here at the foot of the ridge and called it Spook Hill. Is it the gator seeking revenge or the chief protecting his land? Stop car on white line, place in neutral, and let it roll back. Now, I've done this on Magnetic Hill in New Brunswick. The phenomenon that happens at Spook Hill is real. Cars that are parked in neutral will appear to roll uphill. Legend says the hill is either the site of a Native American burial ground or an epic battle of a Native American chief against a crocodile. I do believe it's alligator. But the truth is, it's actually just an illusion created by the hill's surroundings. While cars appear to be rolling uphill, they are still just rolling downhill. I don't know, it's bizarre. When I went to Magnetic Hill, we actually drove downhill to get to the line and then were pulled back up the same hill we just drove down. So, Georgia, the ghost town of Lake Lanier. At the bottom of Lake Lanier lies almost fully intact homes, ferries, a racetrack, and multiple cemeteries. The Georgia government, in its determination to create Lake Lanier, brought up entire towns in order to clear the space for the lake after they received congressional approval in 1946. However, they just decided to let the water cover up the towns rather than demolishing them. Now Lake Lanier has decided has a decidedly eerie feel about it. There have been an unusual number of freak accidents and deaths on the lake. In 2011, there were 17 deaths alone. Many of the people who drowned have been recovered. People have reported feeling arms and legs in the water, but have not been able to find them right after, leading people to believe that spirits still roam the lake. Hawaii Night Marchers Night Marchers, according to Hawaiian lore, are not evil spirits, but they do demand respect. They are spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors who march around the islands to protect sacred areas. Legend says that if you look directly at a night marcher, you will be marked for death. And if by some chance you find yourself in the middle of a procession, you are supposed to lie down in the middle of the road. Idaho. The water babies of Massacre Rock. Ooh. Water babies are a Native American legend that are found in a couple of different places in America, but most famously in Pontus, 
Pocatello at the Massacre Rocks State Park. The Shoshone tribe was first recorded in 1805 and were roaming the Great Plains as early as the 1500s. So it's not clear when exactly this legend originated, but the story goes that the Shoshone experienced an extreme famine and mothers were forced to drown their babies in the river rather than watch their children starve. Today, some people claim that if you sit quietly at the river by the Massacre Rocks, you'll hear the sound of babies crying. Other stories say that these babies grew gills and fins and survived, and now they seek revenge on their mothers by luring unsuspecting victims to their deaths in the river. Illinois, homie the clown. Throughout the suburbs of Chicago in the 90s, there was a rumor going around elementary schools. There was a creepy man dressed as Homie the Clown, yes, from In Living Color, driving around in a white van trying to lure kids into it with candy and money. In some variations, he was a kidnapper, in others he was a rapist, but in all variations, Homie left a mark on young Chicago kids in the 90s. Indiana, Hundred Steps Cemetery. The Hundred Steps Cemetery is located in the town of Brazil. Through the official, though the official address is actually disputed. While it's not clear when the stories about the cemetery began, being haunted began, there are gravestones that date back to the 1860s. Sorry, I'm, I'm hearing noises. So, okay, we're good. Legend states that if someone finds themselves in the cemetery at midnight, they must climb the steps and count to a hundred. At this point, a ghost of the undertaker will appear and show the person a vision of their death. On the way back down, the visitor is supposed to count the steps again. If they count the same amount of steps, the vision was false. People who visited the cemetery in the past have tried to outsmart the supernatural forces in 100 steps by avoiding the steps altogether. They've reported being knocked or shoved to the ground by an unseen force. Yeah, don't try and cheat death. Don't be messing with that kind of stuff. Iowa, the Black Angel. The Black Angel stands over eight feet tall in Oakland Cemetery in Iowa City. She is black due to oxidization, most likely because of her dark appearance. Multiple legends have cropped up around her. One legend says that a pregnant woman should never walk under her or she'll lose the child. Others say that if you touch or kiss the statue, you'll be dead within six months. Whether haunted, cursed, or completely harmless, the statue is definitely a somber sight to see. Kansas, the Devil's Chair. The legend of the Devil's Chair goes like this. An old farmer in Alma refused to sell his land to the city in order to build a new cemetery. Salmon got a little too tired of waiting for him to sell, so he was pushed into his own well. Eventually, someone said there was a terrible smell coming from the well, so the city sent someone to investigate. It was ruled that the well was empty and it was boarded up. Now, if you make your way to Alma, you can actually sit on the boarded up well. But legend says that people who have sat on the well have, oh, excuse me, have been known to mysteriously disappear. Yeah, thank you, but no. The Goat Man of Pope Lick. There's no clear consensus on how the goat man came to be. 
Some say he was a circus performer. Others say he was a farmer who tortured his goats for Satan and in return was transformed into a hideous goat monster. However, everyone does agree on his appearance. Dark fur, pale skin, goat legs, and horns. The monster is said to hide under the bridge at Popelick Creek in Louisville to lure people onto the train tracks, only to see them be hit by oncoming trains. Sadly, this urban legend has had some dangerous consequences. In 2016, an Ohio woman fell to her death from the bridge while looking for the goat man. Louisiana. The Grunch. Not Grinch. Grunch. Grunch Road is an old dirt road that leads deep into the woods and eventually to a dead end. It was a favorite place for teenagers to go and do whatever teenagers do until they learned about the Grunch. The Grunch are rumored to be a group of deformed, half-human, half-monsters that resulted from years of isolation in the Louisiana bayous. In the present day, it's said that if you find yourself on Grunch Road, don't get out of your car if you see a goat that looks injured. The stories say that the Grunch use goats to lure people out of their cars so they can eat them and drain their blood. That sounds like some hills have eyes wrong turn back roads kind of crap. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. No, thank you. The tomb of Colonel Jonathan Buck in Bucksport. Where are we? Maine. Bears mysterious leg-shaped stain. The story goes that Buck sentenced a woman to burn for witchcraft. And while she was burning, her leg rolled out of the fire. It's also been said that the witch cursed Buck's tomb to always bear a stain for for this injustice. It is said that people have tried to get rid of this stain twice, but the stain keeps reappearing. Alrighty. Maryland, Chessie, the Chesapeake Bay Monster. Chessie sightings have been around since the 1830s, but really started to pick up steam in the 80s when photographic evidence became more readily available. Chessie is said to resemble a snake measuring around 30 feet long and is the approximate thickness of a telephone pole. There haven't been any recorded attacks from Chessie, but in a 30-foot-long snake does not sound like something most people would want to run into. Massachusetts, the spirits of Hoosack Tunnel. In the 24-year-long construction of the Hoosack Tunnel in western Massachusetts, approximately 200 men died. Death was so associated with the tunnel that it was actually nicknamed the Bloody Pit. After a particularly gruesome explosion in either, 19, in either 1867 or 1868, 13 miners were trapped inside the tunnel. The other workers assumed that the miners had died, but eventually it was discovered the miners had lived, built a raft to combat flooding, and eventually died due to poisonous gas inhalation. It is said that these 13 miners haunted the tunnel for years, moaning and briefly appearing as ghosts. Michigan. Oh, the little girl on Knock Knock Road. The legend of Knock Knock Road says that there's a little girl who was murdered on Knock Knock Road in the Detroit area, and now she appears to drivers at their car window knocking, trying to find the person who killed her. Minnesota, the Kensington Runestone. Oh, that looks really cool. Damn. In 1898, a Swedish-American farmer found a gigantic slab of rock on his farm 
that had symbols that appeared to be Norse. And since then, no one has figured out where it came from. While most historians have debunked the rock, now known as the Kensington Rune, as a hoax, due to dating and inconsistencies with the North langu Norse language of the time, the myth has persisted. But if it wasn't the Vikings, who did leave this mysterious rock? And what does it say? Mississippi, Deer Island's Haunted Treasure. The ghosts of Deer Island originates from an old pirate story. The story says that back in the 1920s, two men were fishing on Deer Island when they heard rustling in the bushes, a noise they assumed was caused by wild hogs. Eventually, they decided to check it out and encountered a headless skeleton. They ran back to their boat and the skeleton followed them all the way there. According to the pirate story, there was a ship that sailed into Biloxi Bay and buried their treasure on Deer Island. The crew decided to behead one of their own and left his body behind to guard their treasure. <coughs> Missouri. Momo the Missouri Monster. He looks like a Sasquatch. Momo is Missouri's version of Bigfoot Sasquatch. He's been said to have terrible body odor, a pumpkin-shaped head, and an appetite for dogs. In 1968, Momo reportedly tried to abduct a four-year-old boy, though no evidence was ever found. Montana, the story of Sacrifice Cliff. The story of Sacrifice Cliff comes from an old Native American legend. Two members of the Crow tribe arrived in their village from a trip to find that almost everyone there had been infected with smallpox and died. So heartbroken about the loss of their loved ones that the two decided to blindfold their horses and ride off the cliff to join the tribe on the other side. Sacrifice Cliff is visible from almost anywhere in Billings, so it's sad and a bit spooky to think that this story, while the cliff is looming over the entire city. That is kind of creepy. Nebraska, the poisoned girl at Centennial Hall. When Insider chose the most haunted places in each state, Centennial Hall was a no-brainer. People claim that there are multiple ghosts roaming the halls, but the creepiest story of Centennial Hall originates in the 1940s, when it used to be a high school. The story said that a student was playing her clarinet, suffered a heart attack, and died, because her reed was poisoned. Now, people claim to feel cold spots, hear disembodied music, and to have witnessed an empty rocking chair start to rock. Nevada, the truth about Area 51. <laughs> there is perhaps no urban legend, myth, or conspiracy theory more famous than Nevada's Area 51, a mysterious government facility that is rumored to be associated with aliens. The U.S. government officially states that Area 51 is classified due to national security, which only fuels the fire. The secrecy surrounding Area 51 is what makes it inherently creepy. And with the government admitting to a program investigating UFOs, the theories about what's actually going on inside continue to seem more plausible. New Hampshire, the Witch of Hampton, Goody Cole. Eunice Goody Cole was the only woman in New Hampshire history to be tried for witchcraft multiple times. Her first charge was in 1650, 1656, and then she was charged again in 1671. When she died and her body was recovered, the townspeople were rumored to have 
to have to stake her through the heart to prevent her from haunting their town. People continue to blame Goody Cole for the misfortunes of Hampton citizens for the past 300 years. For example, a boat full of Hampton residents overturned and everyone on board drowned, even though they were in swimming distance of shore. People blamed Goody Cole for the crash and for cursing the passengers by having them forget how to swim. The Jersey Devil, New Jersey. The story of the Jersey Devil has been around since the 1700s. The legend states that a woman named Mother Leeds became pregnant with her 13th child and said, let this one be the devil. Once the child was born, it grew hooves, wings, horns, and a tail. Now, the monster has been spotted periodically throughout history in the Pine Barrens region of New Jersey. The state has embraced the legend so much that they have named their hockey team after it. Yes, they have. New Mexico, La Malahora. La Malahora, which translates to the evil hour, is an entity that you don't want to run into on a dark road. Legend says that at first it appears as a ball of black energy, constantly moving and changing its size and shape. If you look at it, it will drive you insane and will slowly kill you. At other times, it appears as a scary-looking woman. It's said that if you see her at a crossroads, you or someone in your family will die. Cropsy, New York. I actually watched a documentary on Cropsy. The story of Cropsy has many iterations, but it generally tells the story of a man who stalked a sleepaway camp, psychiatric facility, or children's hospital, had a hook for a hand, and killed children who were wandering alone at night. Every single person who went to camp in upstate New York has heard about Cropsy. Things took a more sinister turn when a documentary posited that Cropsy was, an actual re was actually real. A convicted child kidnapper named Andre Rand. Yes, and that was the documentary that I watched. North Carolina, the Beast of Bladenboro. That's a cat. In the 1950s, multiple dogs were found dead and drained of blood in the North Carolina town of Bladenboro. People believed that there was a vampiric beast in the woods and they tried to hunt the animal. Today, the town of Bladenboro has embraced its history and residents actually hold a beast fest every year. While some people are convinced the beast was probably a particularly large bobcat, it's never been confirmed exactly what was stalking their town. North Dakota, White Lady Lane. The story of the White Lady Lane is a tragic one. The legend states that a young woman became pregnant out of wedlock and her religious parents forced her to marry the father. The baby ended up dying after their wedding. The girl, so upset about her baby and her forced marriage, hanged herself from a bridge in her wedding dress. Locals claim to still see her ghost hanging from the bridge. Ohio, the werewolf of defiance. <laughs> I like that. During the summer of 1972, the people of defiance claimed they were being terrorized by a werewolf. That was just my birth. The sightings had always happened at night, generally by the train tracks. A couple of women said it would try to get them to get into their houses by rattling the doorknobs. The animal was said to be huge, hairy, and dressed in rags. But after summer ended, the beast disappeared, never to be heard from again. But the story lingers. 
Oklahoma, the Mysterious Shaman's Portal. The mysterious occurrences in Beaver Dunes Park have been attributed to the fact that it was built upon ancient Native American burial grounds, which is why it's called the Shaman's Portal. It's also known as the Oklahoma-Bermuda Triangle. Mysterious things have happened in the park, starting with the Spanish conquistadors who went missing while searching for gold in the, in the 1500s. Since then, paranormal activity seekers flock to the dunes. Some people claim that a UFO crashed there, and a group in the 90s who tested the soil said it was abnormal. Oregon, the Bandage Man of Cannon Beach. The Bandage Man is an American version of a mummy. He is rumored to be the ghost of a logger who died in a sawmill accident and now terrorizes teenagers who hang out in a deserted area of a highway near Cannon Beach. Stories say that he knocks on car windows to try and get in and smells really, really bad. Pennsylvania, the bus to nowhere. In Philadelphia, there's rumored to be a bus that doesn't have an end destination. The story says that the bus only picks up passengers that are at their lowest moments who need to get away from their problems. Once the passenger is ready to face the world, they can get off the bus. But the passengers have no idea how long they've been on the bus for. It could have been hours, days, or even years. The Devil's Footprints Rhode Island There is a rock on Devil's Foot Road that appears to show a normal human footprint and a cloven hoof. The story goes that a Native American woman murdered a white man and fled the scene of the crime. While running, she was stopped by another man. She cried out for the devil to save her, when the ma and when the man admitted that he himself was the devil and stomped his feet on the ground to prove that he had a cloven hoof, the rock still shows to this day. Hey, oh, my goodness gracious, bless me. South Carolina, the death of Julia Lagar. In the 1800s, the Lagars were, well, were a well-to-do South Carolina family that had homes on the mainland and on Edisto Island. The daughter, Julia, got sick, was pronounced dead, and was buried inside her family's mausoleum. Years later, another member of the Lagar family died, and when their tomb was opened up, the remains of Julia were found outside of her coffin. The story says that Julia had been in a coma and had woken up to try and escape her tomb, but sadly died. After the first reopening of the Laguerre mausoleum, the door can't seem to stay shut. The Laguerres tried multiple different doors and every single time the door was found open. People believe that the ghost of Julia didn't want to be locked in that tomb any longer. South Dakota, Walking Sam and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Purportedly over seven feet tall and very slim, Walking Sam is said to appear on the streets of Pine Ridge Indian Reservation at night. Sam Winchester? And he tries to convince teenagers to take their own lives. Nope, nope, not Sam Winchester. Whether or not Walking Sam is real, something tragic is going on at the reservation. From De December 2014 to May 2015, there were 103 suicide attempts at Pine Ridge. Ooh, that's sad. Tennessee, the boy in the bathroom at Pine Haven School. The Pine Haven School, located in Jamestown, is old and abandoned and is said to be haunted. A tragic story supposedly took place there, 
where a boy was cornered by a group of bullies in the bathroom and shoved into a mirror, which shattered and killed him. To avoid getting caught committing murder, the bullies decided to bury the body underneath the floorboards. Today, people say that if you go inside the school, you can see the reflection of the boy if you look into the mirror. Texas, the candy lady. Not the candy man, the candy lady. In the early 1900s, children had an un- in an unnamed rural town in Texas started to go missing and the residents blamed it on the candy lady. The story says that she would go around leaving candy on children's windows and eventually she'd lure the kids out with notes attached promising more candy. The story seemed to pick up steam when a farmer allegedly found rotten, rotten teeth on his farm and later found the body of a boy with his pockets stuffed with candy. While little is known about the origin of this story, some have speculated that the candy lady was real and their name was Clara, Clain- Clara Crane. Utah, the curse of the Escalante Petrified Forest. Which, while it is illegal to take anything from the Escalante Petrified Forest State Park, there is a legend that says that anyone who takes pieces of petrified wood from the park will be cursed with bad luck, sickness, and accidents. Park manager Kendall Farnsworth stated in 2014 that he gets about a dozen packages every year containing a piece of wood from the park and an apologetic letter detailing the sender's misfortunes. Vermont, the frozen people. First appearing in a diary that was published in the late 1800s, the legend of the hibernating old people recounts the tales of a poor family outside the Montpellier, outside of Montpellier, who couldn't afford to feed and clothe the oldest members of their family, so they froze the people and buried them. According to the tale, when spring rolled around, the elders thawed out and were just fine. Okay. Virginia, the Bunnyman. The Bunnyman's legend started with what every good urban legend starts with. An insane asylum! The people of Clifton were so up in arms about the asylum that they were able to get all of the patients transferred. The patients were being moved on a bus that crashed and the police were able to catch all of the patients except one. The Bunnyman. Dun, dun, dun. According to the tale, the Bunnyman lived in the woods and sustained himself on woodland creatures, like bunnies. But eventually, he attacked humans. Some people reported being attacked by a man with a hatchet. Other tales say that groups of teens would see a bright light and then would wind up dead and strung up over a bridge. Well, how do you know they saw a bright light if they ended up dead? Washington. Bigfoot. Bigfoot is an internationally recognizable name and has been spotted all over the country. But Bigfoot has been spotted the most in Washington State. Bigfoot is essentially a gigantic ape-like creature who is either a ferocious beast who attacks loggers and hikers or a gentle giant who just wants to be left alone. Either way, there's something creepy about an undiscovered species of animal wandering around the Pacific Northwest evading capture. He's smart. West Virginia, Mothman. In 1966, stories say that West Virginia was visited by an insectoid flying creature with bright red eyes who resembled both a moth and a man. He was spotted flying around the town of Point Pleasant, along with shining lights and the men in black. 
Mothman's origins have been claimed as supernatural, alien, or government experiment gone wrong. But Point Pleasant has embraced the monster, erecting a statue, creating a museum, and even dedicating a festival to him. In 2002, a film starring Richard Gere called The Mothman Prophecies was released. That was a good movie, too. I enjoyed it. Wisconsin, Boy Scout Lane. The story of what exactly happened at Boy Scout Lane varies, but they all end with the same conclusion. A group of Boy Scouts dead on the road. In some stories, there was a bus crash with no survivors, or they were murdered by their bus driver, or they just mysteriously vanished into the woods one by one. Visitors have reported seeing a swinging body in the trees, feeling as though they are being watched, and finding child-sized handprints. Wyoming! Devil's Tower. That's kind of cool. There's no scientific consensus on why Devil's Rock looks the way it does, but one Native American creation story attributes the landmark's shape to a tragedy. According to the story, a large group of Cheyenne girls were attacked and killed by a bear. Two escaped and found help from two boys, who convinced the girls to act as bait. They climbed to the top of the tower, and the bear tried to follow. The boys shot arrows at the bear, and it finally gave up, leaving scratches all the way down the rock as it slid down. Oh, there's a correction. The story has been updated to remove the claims that historians debunked the theory Vikings arrived in North America before Christopher Columbus. What story? Which story? Oh, I guess the story with the with the runestone. Anyway, that is all 50 states. And that is it for me tonight. What is happening over here? Okay. Um, I am... Okay, I don't know. Sorry, I jumped into work mode for about a second and a half. I am done for tonight. I am tired. My voice is tired. I need to spin this down and send this over to Dave so that he can do all of his wonderful magic and he can get it out for you guys to listen to tomorrow. So I hope you all have a wonderful Halloween, Samhain, whatever it is. Happy New Year. Whatever it is that you celebrate on October 31st, I hope you have fun and you're safe and it is a pleasant experience for you. All right, everybody, you know the drill, especially since it's Halloween. Be kind, be respectful, and don't lick shit. I don't care how good it looks. Don't lick it. Don't do it. All right, everybody, I will catch up with you all next week. See ya. Carry on, Almighty Well, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.